So let's do this. Let's open to Acts chapter 27 as we continue in the Word of God. Everybody, thank you so much. Calvary Chapel, Honolulu. That's where Jan and I started at Calvary in 1995. We were four years old. And uh... <laughs> who's coughing over there? No, I'm kidding. Hey, we're going to try and do something real ambitious. Uh, we're going to look at shipwrecks. Well, storms, shipwrecks, and snake bites today. I mean, can you believe this stuff is in the Bible? The Bible is so real and open and raw. And what a way to finish out the book of uh, Acts. And if you haven't been hearing, we're going to uh, uh, take it next to the book of Genesis. So um, we're just going to start at the beginning here. And so... Uh, we are actually coming up uh, in a couple months on the 10-year anniversary of Calvary Chapel South Pittsburgh. We've actually, uh, we're on Wednesday nights preaching through and teaching through the book of Proverbs, and that'll be the last book that we've covered in the whole Bible. Uh, we've done a little bit more than the whole Bible because we've done several of the New Testament books twice. But anyway, you get the point. And um, so we're going to just start again. And now we are learning and growing in the book of Acts. One of the things, uh, you know, is sort of bittersweet. I've loved this book so much. I was on walking with Jan yesterday and said, you know, I've taught through this once before, but wow, this time for me at least, uh, the Lord has really done a mighty work in my heart. And what, what have we learned? I mean, what, what things have we learned? We've learned this. We've learned that if you want to live the Christian life, and you do, then the Bible and Jesus calls you to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about that at length, to be overflowing with the Holy Spirit, uh, to work and serve and love and forgive in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the way that Jesus called us. And what did he call us to? He called us to discipleship. That's number two. What are we learning? We're, we're learning about discipleship in the early church to win people to Christ, to build people up in Christ, and to send people out in Christ. Not to hold on to them. No, the early church knew nothing of that. Well, let's hold on to them. They're such a great worship leader. We can't afford to let them go. No, it's, it's like having children here. I mean, you raise your children so that they'll be successful when they go. And that's the same thing here. We equip people for their ministry and we're praying, right? That people would learn their ministry and go and, you know, grow and then go and in a good way, in a blessed way. And there's so many other lessons. In Acts 11, do you remember when Barnabas came to one of the churches? This one really touched me. He says he actually saw, saw the grace of God in the church. He could see God's grace through the people. And one of the things I'm praying for, and I know you're praying for too, is that when people come here, they would see the grace of God. It might not be the same style of worship they're used to. Maybe they don't like the teaching, etc. I don't blame them, but you know, and, uh, but what they would see when they leave here is they knew that God's grace was at work in the lives of the people. Oh, what a blessed thing. What else does the book of Acts teach us? Well, it certainly teaches us this, and it's so relevant for today. It teaches us how to navigate a world that hates what we believe. Living in a pluralistic culture, living in a culture where your truth is 
your truth and my truth is my truth when really there's objective truth and God's truth and how do we live and move where people hate what we believe. And uh, Paul and the rest of the team, Peter and the rest, certainly show us that. And so we are now uh, on uh, Paul's Roman voyage. Some people call this the fourth missionary journey. I'm going to have them put up a map uh, for us, and you can follow along as we basically follow for two chapters Luke, man. I mean, Luke is Renaissance man. Luke is a medical doctor. Luke is a historical, accurate, historian, scholar. And Luke, I mean, he's given us words in the sailing community like we know what he's talking about. It's hard to almost follow along because he knows what's going on and uh, writes this. And many people, in fact, there are several accounts of skeptics who were involved in uh, the merchant trade or sailing or the ocean or whatever, who have gone with this as their guide and trailed where he went, following what he said, and have come to the conclusion that what Luke put in here was true. And in fact, there are several accounts of people getting saved because of it. Because Luke, uh, you know, this is like perfect um, maritime language. So here goes. We are now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, has now uh, appealed to Rome to hear his case. The Jewish people are really upset with him. And the Romans, isn't this interesting? The Romans who dominated Israel have sort of taken Paul into captivity, given him sort of some freedom, and kept him at this beautiful place called Caesarea Maritime, right here above Israel. The Romans were no dummies. They put their center, their capital, in the area of uh, Israel at Caesarea Maritime. Why? Because it's a beautiful beach town. They're no dummies. And they made all the accoutrements and all the things, and we've talked about that. And Paul has stayed at Caesarea Maritime now for two years as some of the different governors uh, of Rome have switched in and out And so he's waiting to be transferred to Rome. That's where we are. Now watch this. Follow along with me in verse 1. I'm not sure we're going to read all of it, but here goes. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy. Oh, time out. (laughs) My first time out. I've got two left. If you turn over to chapter 19, just do that with me. I want you to see it with your eyes. If you go over to chapter 19, verse 21, when Paul is at Ephesus, it says, when these things were accomplished, uh, Paul purposed in the spirit when he'd passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, look at this, this was in his heart. After I have been there, I must also see Rome. You could also, we're not going to turn there, you could go to Romans 1, 8 through 15. It shows his desire to always have gone to Rome. But I I believe it was Holy Spirit-led because if you got the gospel into the people of Rome, it was going to spread everywhere, and God knew what he was doing. That's why. And then if you turn over to chapter 23, verse 11. There's this plot back in Jerusalem. 
to kill Paul. Look at this in 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, (laughs) can you imagine the Lord, you know, hey, Lord, there's just people out to kill me. The Lord says, be of good cheer. Cheer up, buddy. But we can be that way, joyful, even when, when people are hating us because we have the settled expectation of the hope of heaven by the blood of Jesus so that these things don't rock Christians. And he says, cheer up, Paul, for you have testified for me in Jerusalem. Watch this. You must, can you imagine if Jesus stood beside you and say, you, don't worry, you're going to Rome. I mean, that would stay with you, wouldn't it? And you would believe it, wouldn't you? And you would base all of your life upon it, wouldn't you? Even if you got bit by a snake or were in a, uh, a storm or in a shipwreck, you would know that Jesus promised that you were going to go to Rome. So the circumstances of life, although they were rough and tough, didn't affect you or devastate you to the point where you couldn't function. I mean, right? You, you, you with me? Now, let me just do a little rabbit trail here, but I'm sort of on it now. But see, you have the Scriptures, just like Paul. Jesus does speak to you through the Scriptures, just like Paul. He said, I'll be with you always. People say, I'm lonely. I understand. I'm not making fun. Lonely, no one cares for me. Really? Jesus said, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. And on and on you go. We have the Scriptures, just like Paul. But here, he says, you're going to go to Rome. So now when we get to chapter 27, finally, we're going to go to Italy. They deliver Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment, just this important regiment. By the way, in the Bible, in the New Testament, it's really interesting. I'll challenge you on this. You come back and we'll see. Every time in the New Testament a Roman centurion is mentioned, it's mentioned in a favor, he's mentioned in a favorable light. This Roman centurion is going to be nice to Paul and actually save his life and the life of the other captives here in a few minutes. Interesting. So Julius, a centurion, a Roman, he was the one of the Augustan regiment. So they went upon a ship of this name I can't pronounce, and that's really just a ship that belonged to a seaport because ships were a big deal. And they didn't really have a rudder like we have a rudder. They had these massive oars, two of them, that came out the back and they would steer these oars. And it wasn't uh, sort of like the ships we have. And they didn't have navigation devices. They went by the stars. So if the Bible tells you that it was dark at night, he's telling you that on purpose because they couldn't navigate. We'll see that in a minute. So, and they, they, they just went by the wind and they went by the stars. So here you go. They're at this, in this port ship. They actually get into three ships by the time they get to Rome. We put to sea when we sailed along the coasts of Asia. Now that's Asia up here, right here, over here. And so Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica was with us. In another uh, part of the New Testament, he calls him a fellow prisoner. So, Probably this guy was with Paul in some of his prison, you know, time there uh, in Caesarea. Anyway, he was a Macedonian and and he was with us. That means 
Luke went with them. They probably allowed his medical doctor to travel with him. You get it? They were kind to him, the Romans were. And the next day, we landed at Sidon. Do you see it up there? And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go with his friends and to receive care. And when he put the sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus. Who says that? I certainly, if I was right, I would say we went in the ocean in some water. I wouldn't say under the shelter of. And the reason I'm telling you that is Luke's talking like a sailor here. So he went under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. I mean, come on. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra. Oh, look at that. We got this. And uh, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexander, uh, Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. Now, this is fascinating. Just stay with me for a minute. Alexandria ships are from right here. See it here? It's in Egypt. And Rome had a big you know, presence in Egypt. And from Alexandria is where all of Rome, Italy, got their grain. This was a grain ship. That's going to come into play here in a minute. And that's important because if they didn't have grain up in Rome, they were not happy Romans. And so they counted on these ships to sail with the winds at the appropriate time. And finally at Myra... Whatever, the first ship must not have been doing the trick. They get into this Roman-sanctioned grain ship that was sailing to Italy, and they put us on board. And when we'd sailed slowly many days, arrived with difficulty at, it looks like Cindy, Cindy, but it's not. It's Snidos or something. The wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Creek of Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. You got it? You there so far? All right, good. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, that was the Day of Atonement, which means they were sailing in October. It was getting towards winter. And Paul, if you go into 2 Corinthians, told us, He survived, previous to this, three shipwrecks. Paul was an experienced dude on the ships. He had been in them a lot of times. So they come to Lycia. Now, it's dangerous. The fast is over. Paul says to them, hey, uh, guys, I perceive that this voyage is going to end with disaster, much loss. Not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than not by the thing spoken and by Paul. Now, some of you might be wondering something right here. Is God sovereign or does man have a responsibility? God told Paul, you're not going to die. Paul said, if you don't do this, you're going to die. You're like, hmm? So what is it? Is it God's sovereignty and or man's responsibility? And the answer to that is yes. It's both. You see it right here. Somebody's giving me a quizzical look. I want to I'm not making fun. I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. God orchestrates all things, and yet you have free choice and he works everything out even according to the choices you make. You see And we see it right here. That's what I'm just trying to point out. And so he knew they should do the right thing. But because the harbor was also 
suitable to winter in, verse 12, uh, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. And that's fascinating. Phoenix. Now, they want to get over to Phoenix. You know why they want to get over to Phoenix? The sailors want to get there. Because the sailors know that's where all the entertainment is. That's where all the fun is. That's where all the beauty is. They just saying, hey, let's just eke out just a little more so we can get to Phoenix. That's what's happening here. Uh, so they go into verse 13, and it says, when the south wind blew softly. And that's important for you. And that's important for me. And here's why. The conditions started to look favorable. That's what this writer is telling you. The south winds are starting to blow softly. Oh, no problem. And they had obtained their desire, putting out the sea. sea. They sailed close by Crete. But long, not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euryclidon or something like that. And basically what he's saying is, this is a northeaster. This is a terrible hurricane wind. That's what he's telling you. So favorable conditions don't always mean it's the right path to take. And Jonah certainly tells us that. You know, when I hear people say, oh, my goodness, I prayed and all the open doors. I'm like, oh, you make sure the open doors were heading the right way. Because Jonah had open doors to run from God. The enemy, folks, tries to help you open doors and make it easy for you sometimes. And here that's sort of like that. The south winds are blowing softly, and uh, these experts are saying, do go this way, but they were heading right into a nor'easter. And so when the ship was caught and couldn't head into the wind, we let her drive, and running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sardis sands, they struck sail... <laughs> That's like Dr. Seuss right there. And so we're driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. They threw stuff over. Of course. They're like, whoa, we're in a nor'easter. We're in a hurricane. We're going to lighten the ship. And on the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neat, which is fascinating to me, the Romans are like, and some of them are like, Hey, you folks, uh, you, <laughs> you prisoners, throw, throw our stuff over the ship. I mean, he's, I don't know, it just seems weird to me. Uh, you'd be throwing their provisions over, and you're the prisoners. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. You ever felt like all hope? is gone. And you just want to give up. And you know this. Storms and sea in the Bible to the ancient mind was very uncertain and scary and even represented judgment and things that God would do in retribution or justice. And it leads us to remind ourselves, and if you've been coming here for a long time, we've talked about it. Why do things come into our life that are rough? And who sends them? I mean, the Bible tells us, if you search the Bible, who sends rough things into our lives? Well, 
First of all, sometimes rough things come into your life because you reap what you sow. Is that harsh? It's not harsh. You reap what you sow. I mean, you do things. There are certain consequences. Things are going to happen. Sometimes the enemy sends things into our lives and tempts us. But the Bible tells us, too, that the Lord sends things into our lives that are trials. And you can see that in a number of different places. Well, why would these things, or what would the, the Lord want to accomplish through any one of those three situations? Well, he'd want to correct you. Maybe you're like Jonah, and doors have opened, and you're heading away from the place that he's told you to go, and he's trying to get you back on course. He's trying to make you aim to what he uh, to the place that he wants for you and sometimes doesn't he he brings storms to mature you uh, because without storms come on let's face it let's face it folks when do you find yourself on your knees mostly when you're in a storm and you need something and the lord loves you and wants you to come to him and uh, wants you to mature in your christ likeness and so sometimes he sends storms to mature you. And you know, you can remember after feeding the 5,000, he put his disciples out on the sea and sent a storm. You could see it there. But sometimes he protects us by storms. And one of the ways in which you can look at that is you can look at the life of Noah. He was protected, he and his family, in the storm. And sometimes, just like now, uh, uh, you know, he, he's directing you to a place that you would no, uh, never otherwise go. And that's in this story. I mean, who in the world at the time wanted to follow this scary route to witness to the people at Malta? Probably not many people. And God uses this storm to ultimately get this guy to a place in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea that not many people had gone. So watch this. After long abstinence from food, verse 21, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. The Bible's real, man. I told you so, Paul says. Funny. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you. Here comes the encouragement. I urge you to take heart, for there's going to be no loss of life among you. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, an angel of God, uh, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Let me read that again. There will be no loss of life among you. There won't be, uh, uh, but, uh, but only of the ship. For the, uh, there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe that uh, God, that it will be just as he told me. However, we must run aground on an island. Now, see, I get jazzed right here. Here's where I get jazzed. Some of you say, uh, as I've been talking to you over the last couple of months, yeah, that, that's cool, but that's Paul. I mean, he was superhuman, greatest Christian of all time. I mean, that's him. I don't think I could do that. Well, yes, you could. And here's why. 
Because Paul is relying upon the same things or the same person that you are to rely on with the same power uh, you have access to. The same person he relies on, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, has the same power that you have. And you're able to do it. So let's talk about this. If a storm comes, who here has ever been in a storm? Oh, not everybody. Hmm. We'll just wait then. You ever been in a storm, man, and you can you feel like you can hardly get breath? The waves are hitting, and the darkness is there, and the sounds, and the shrieks, and the scariness, and the uncertainty. Am I going to die out here in the midst of this and sink to a bottom of an ocean? I mean, how did I sign up for this? And then here's what some people start to do. Have you ever done this? Lord, what are you doing? It's me. I mean, think about it if you're Paul. I've done everything for you. I gave it all up. I went around the world. I gave up all my money, my prestige, my power. I gave everything up. The temptation would be to say, look at me, Lord. How in the world could you do this to me? You must have forgotten me. What, what is the problem? But you don't see that here. You see none of it. And here's why, I think. Because Paul knew a spiritual truth that I want all of you to know. That if you're found in Christ, listen, if you're in Christ, if you've said you recognize that you're a sinner and that you need to repent and head towards God and that you need to count on, trust in, The penalty that Jesus paid for us. He took the sins of the world on the cross. Your sins, my sins, past, present, future. He paid the penalty for the sins. He took on the wrath of God. He died, but he rose again. And you're saying in your life, and you say it, I am a sinner. I repent. I want to walk towards God. I want to follow you and trust you all of my life, Lord, so that when I die, And I come before you, you're going to see me as perfectly righteous in Christ. That's what I want, Lord, more than anything. If you say that and you do that and that comes to you, salvation comes to your life, listen to this. This is a truth that you need to internalize. I need to internalize. You belong to God. Now, you say to yourself, well, why are you making such a a big deal about this is because belonging is a big deal. One of the most basic needs that you need as a human being is to belong. You ever felt like you didn't belong? Oh, that's terrible. And I, I'm excited right now because I get to talk about my favorite book, Leviticus. All those things in the Old Testament, all those things that you scratch your head at and you go, what is this about? And you know, you're doing your one-year devotion, you get to Leviticus and you just throw your hands up in the air and you quit. I'm kidding, you don't quit. In chapter 1 of the book of Leviticus, it talks about the most basic offering that the Old Testament Jews offered. Now stay with me. And that's the burnt offering. Somebody tell me, 
How many times, when were you required to give the burnt offering? And the answer is never. You did it free will. It was a free will offering. And somebody tell me how much of the sacrifice of the burnt offering was burnt or consumed. All of it. That was unusual for the sacrifices. Let me read you something that Ray Stedman, Pastor Ray Stedman, has told us about the burnt offering, and then I'm going to come back to why we belong. This is what the burnt offering is telling us. The most basic quest of our life is to belong to someone, to be identified with them, to be loved by someone, to be accepted and possessed and owned by someone else. And nothing is more pitiable and pathetic than someone who feels that no one loves him, that he doesn't belong to anyone and that no one cares for his soul. In this sacrifice is the recognition of the most basic hunger of man. It's a reflection of our need to belong, to be accepted, loved, to have an identity, a relationship, a cause to live or die for. Man is forever restless if he doesn't have this sense of belonging. And we will never find fulfillment in our humanity in expressing ourselves until we find it in committing ourselves totally to God for an offering. You and I are searching for someone to love us. That's the most primitive and basic hunger of our life. Because you see, man is not God. We like to think we are. We try to act like him. We try to run the universe and have everything revolve around us. But this is what the burnt offering is tell us, telling us, that the most basic quest of our life is to belong, to be identified, and have an identity, to be loved by someone, accepted, possessed, owned by someone else. And the Bible tells you this. Listen, when you become a Christian, the Bible says, your life no longer is your own. You've been bought with a price. That's the reality for Paul and for all of us as Christians. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Oh, folks, don't you see? Storms can come and storms can go. And you will have storms, and there will be circumstances that will be down here and circumstances that will be up here. But none of that will affect or impact who you are or impact your identity because you're loved and you belong. So that when you are on a ship or wherever you are, and you've been promised that you're going to go to Rome, well, here's what we do. Lord, put us in the luxury cabin with the 24-7 service, and I can eat anytime I want, and I have people wait on me. And the Lord says, you're going to go maybe as a prisoner, but you're still going to go. Oh, and by the way, we're going to take a little shipwreck stop. But the reason I'm doing that is you'd never go elsewhere, to Mal- or ne- never go otherwise to Malta, and I want you to be at Malta so you can witness to these poor people before you go up to Rome. And here's what we say. We can say either, but you don't know who I am. Or you can say, yes, sir. I belong to you. What are you going to say? That's what Paul does. Yes, sir. I belong to you. I belong to you and I want to serve you. Serving settles you and anchors you. You belong to the Lord so you can serve other people. And even when other people treat you poorly, you can still serve them. And you don't, you're not afraid. 
Don't be afraid. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. That's what the Lord told me. And you stand on his promises. You see this? You belong to God. You serve people. You stand on his promises. You go where he takes you. Take heart, men, for I believe. Look, then you trust God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. I'm not trusting in my way I want this to go, Lord. I'm just going to trust you in the way you tell me it's going to go. And then I'm just going to show up and love and serve in the ways that you have for me. Listen, when you live like that, you are so free. Some people say, wait a minute, you're submitting. How can you be free? You're never more free than when you submit to the perfect person of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. And here Paul does it. And so... On the 14th night, look at this, 27, we're driven up and down the Adriatic. About midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. How do you think they knew that they were drawing near some land? Well, most people believe they heard the shore break. They were expert sailors. They could hear the shore break. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they'd gone a little further, they took soundings and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground, they dropped their four anchors, prayed for day to come. Do you notice that? Paul's rubbing off on them. The pagan people on the ship are starting to pray. Because they saw there's something about Paul, and this is the last thing I think we're learning as we go uh, into uh, our next book, and we're learning from the book of Acts, is that all the times that Paul is put on trial or is a prisoner in a ship, or whatever, actually, Paul is the one who's in charge. (laughs) I mean, read it here. He's starting to boss around the people in a good way. He has the authority. Why does he have the authority? Because he's always just so calm. Let me put up this quote by William Barclay, if you can put it up for them. Listen to this. As we read the narrative into the tempest, there seems to come a calm, a strange calm. The man of God has somehow made others sure that God is in charge of things. Listen, write that down for yourself. The man or woman of God makes sure that people know that God is in charge of things. That's what William Barclay says. The most useful people in the world are those who, being themselves calm, bring to others the secret of confidence. Paul was like that, and every follower of Jesus ought to be steadfast when others are in turmoil. Are you listening to that? That's something as we're exiting out of Acts that the Lord wants you to know. You live in a time of horrible overreaction. How do I know? Because all I do is I go and I flip on my TV and I put on MSNBC and I go, oh my goodness, overreaction. And then I put on Fox and I see the exact same thing from a different side. Sorry, folks. Because we live in emotionalism and cancel culture and all this thing. And people are wondering, how can we navigate life like this? We can't even say up is up or girl is girl or boy is boy. We can't even say any of that. And we get canceled. And look... Paul knows what it was like. 
And there's something about him. What is it? It's the Holy Spirit. He doesn't fly off the handle one way or the other. He just sits there with the calm, knowing that Jesus is with him and that he's standing on the promises, and he chooses to believe that other than the hype. Wow. That's powerful. Let us be people who tried, or not try, who do, who tell people that God is in charge. What trust and what faith. So, then fearing lest they should run aground, that's 29, and as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff under pretense of putting out anchors, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you're not going to be saved. And then the soldiers cut away the ropes and let it fall off. And as the day was about to dawn, 33, Paul implored them all to take food. He was pragmatic. You're going to be hungry, man. We've been out here for 14 days. With We were so stressed. You need to get some food in you. You've waited and continued without food, eaten nothing. I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. That's the language of faith, isn't it? Because he knew the promise. And you're to know the promises and speak the language of faith. And when he had said these things, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, Man, Xander, putting that in the communion thing. I mean, that was great. Amazing. And when he had broken, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And all were 276 persons. All 276 are looking to the prisoner for leadership. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship. And look, I told you about Alexandrine contracts for grain Because this must have got serious, folks, because they threw the grain over into the sea. They were scared. They were beaten. They were at the end of their rope. And there was Paul, confident in the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when it was day, they didn't recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach. They think it's this place called St. John's Bay. Isn't that cute? Clever. I mean, uh, on Malta, you can go there today. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, hoisted the mainsail. Do you guys know any of this? I know none of this. Oh, somebody does. Good. But striking a place where two seas meet, they ran the ship aground. You catching what they did? They ran it aground and the prow stuck. I have no idea what a prow is and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken, the back of the ship, by the violence of the waves. Soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners. Watch this. But the centurion... He wanted to save Paul, kept them from their purpose, and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to the land. You say, wait, wait, wait. I know this is a lot of reading. A lot of people were saved because of the life of one righteous man here. Who? You'd never know where you are in your life. One righteous person to stand up. And many were saved. And you see it in the book of Genesis as well. So, they all escaped safely to the land, it tells us in the last verse there. Some swam, jumped overboard. Some were on boards. They all got there. And then when they escaped, they found out that the island was Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when, listen, 
This is an astounding verse. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, the man is still serving. (laughs) Shipwreck. Cold. Expectations. I mean, I'm going to Rome. Oh, no, you're not. You're going to Malta. All the different things that have could derailed his walk with the Lord. And the people are cold, 276 people. So he's going around picking up sticks. And I would say to you, oh, here it comes. <laughs> Folks, if you don't get plugged in at any, wherever you go to church, get plugged in somewhere. It's good for you. It's good for the people. Don't let everybody else just do it. Get plugged in. Serve. Be a greeter. Be a whatever. Donut. We need people in the donut ministry. You, I, I mean, find something. Don't just be a consumer Christian. There's this blessing that comes by serving. It's so blessing you get bit by a viper. And here he comes, and a viper comes out because of the heat, and it fastens onto his hands, and that's pertinent to the story. So the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, and no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped. They're like, wow, this is justice. See, they believed in the gods of justice, and they just thought the viper was a sign that this man was receiving something for something he had done previously. Yet justice doesn't allow to live. Verse 5, but he shook off the creature and suffered no harm. They were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they'd looked for a long time and saw no harm coming to him, they changed their minds and said that he was God, a God, little g. Listen, listen, folks, just listen. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, people use that to say Christians, you know, handle snakes. That's, That's not what this is about. This is about the promises of God. This man was going to get to Rome. (laughs) He wasn't going to die until the Lord said it was time. He was totally protected until then. And yet he's in these difficult circumstances. Why? Well, he shook off the creature and they were expecting that he would die. Look in verse 7. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, Publius, I don't know, who received us and entertained us courteously For three days. And it happened that his father was sick of this fever and dysentery. And Paul prayed and he laid his hands on him and he healed him. Now, why in the Bible are there a lot of miracles? And a lot of miracles because God, Jesus in the New Testament, he was showing you glimpses of what the kingdom's going to be like. When we get to the millennial kingdom, there'll be no sickness, no crying, no death. But... He also did miracles so that people would come around so they'd hear the teaching because teaching was number one to Jesus. And it is to Paul. And so here, this guy, this, you know, the, the minister or whatever, the governor of the island, they lay his hands on his father. Can you imagine how thankful he was? And when this was done, he healed him. The rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. And they honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Now, you might be asking yourself, hold on real quick. We're almost done. We only got 
Two more hours. Listen, you might be asking yourself, well, shouldn't we be able to heal everybody? Well, if the Lord gives you the gift of healing, then you will. But I want you to remember something. Paul's thorn in the flesh never went away. He healed other people and still had physical ailments. And he, these remained. They never went away. So remember, healing is a gift. It's not a formula. Do you hear what I said? Healing is a gift from God. And when healing comes, praise the Lord. But it's not a formula. You do this. You come here. You give me money. You'll be healed. No, it's none of that. It's a gift. And Paul, apparently, he needed to continue to have this malady or whatever so that he kept serving the Lord. And the Lord chose to do that. And Paul was fine with it. Now, look, after three months, three months. What do you think Paul did in three months? I bet he sent out those, you know, the guys who his friends, Luke, Aristarch, and they witnessed and shared and taught and preached and loved and served until the Lord called them somewhere else. Three months. They never would have gotten there unless there was a storm. And here's what happened. They sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, wintered in the island, landing at Syracuse, stayed three days. From there, we circled around and reached this regium. Oh, we're still doing it. Great. Man, we are on it. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next we came to this place, Putiola, where we found brothers and were invited to stay with them seven days. Oh, it's pleasant to dwell in unity, to see other brothers uh, uh, isn't it to, to find other Christians and to fellowship with them? And we go towards Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, what happened? When the brethren heard about us, uh, uh, they came to meet us as far as Appy Forum and Three Inns. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage, right? He thanked God and took courage. Now, when he came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guards, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now, listen, I know you're like, okay, I just want you to go, but this is, you could do a whole sermon on this. You understand that in the book of Philippians chapter 4, 22, Paul refers to several from the household of Caesar who were saved. And how does that happen? because he was chained to people. The whole time he's chained to the prison guard, you know, can you imagine he's on the, you know, the 12 to 7 shift, midnight to 7, you're sort of sleeping, maybe you can't sleep, and Paul just sort of nudges you and says, hey man, how you doing? Oh, good. Well, tell me about your family. Well, da-da-da-da-da, and you know, my wife has been sick. Hey, would you mind if I prayed with your wife or for your wife? Oh, no, you pray for my wife. And, oh, okay. Well, he's Roman. He's probably going to say, but who do you pray to? And you just say, well, well do you want to know? And he say, oh, yeah, I want to know. You say, the one true and living God, the Jesus who lived in Israel, who came from Jerusalem, the one who died there, who was crucified, died and was buried. And you say, well, what about, you know, Zeus and Apollo? And, 
And, and he explained those things. And then he would tell about Jesus and he would take them through this book, the Bible, with the law and the prophets, show them the prophecies, and then show him Jesus. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, the 12 to 8 shift or the 12 to 7 shift guard, he's saved and he loves the Lord. And then the next guy would come and he wouldn't cry and whine. Oh my goodness, I'm chained up. He would just share with people. The household of Caesar got saved or several from there. Isn't that amazing? And it came to pass, watch this, 17, three days, Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. Leaders of the Jews, they're not Christians. They're up in Rome. Men and brethren, though I've done nothing against our people, I was delivered a prisoner from Jerusalem to the Romans, who when they had examined me, one of them let me go. But when the Jews spoke against us, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. That's the prior story. That's what we have already learned. Um, For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, that's a messianic title, 1 Timothy 1.1 says, Jesus Christ is our hope. I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, we neither received these letters nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any of evil of you. Now, hang on. I know you're like two chapters too much, but it's almost over. And we desire to hear from you what you think for concerning this sect. We know that it's spoken against everywhere. Hey, this is really interesting. These Jewish guys and gals up in Rome didn't really know about the way, the Christians who were bothering the Jews down in Israel, which is sort of fascinating because they would write to one another, but whatever, they don't. So they appointed him a day, came to his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God. If you go and examine what Jesus did in the New Testament, look, in the book of Acts, you know what he did before he left in the ascension? He taught and preached about the kingdom of God. And here's Paul doing it. I mean, he just didn't miss opportunities. He didn't leave any opportunities on the table. So they come, and he takes them through the law of Moses, the prophets. He does it from morning till evening. Most of us would say stuff like this. I can talk to you for 15 minutes, but i got to go to work. That's how much we care. I know he's captive and he's a prisoner, but he gave it all up for this. He does it from morning till evening. Some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. Look, some believed in Christ, some didn't. You have to decide right now, today, as you're hearing this today, are you going to give your life to Christ? He's the only one who can save you from your sins and give you the righteousness that you can come into heaven with and be reconciled to the Father. Are you going to do that? Some said yes, some said no. What would be sad is if some of those ones who said no went outside and got hit by a bus or a shipwreck or a snake. It's appointed once to die and then the judgment. Today is the day of salvation, but time out. I'm asking if you as a Christian are a believer. You know the one of the worst words for the Christian is? But... I know he said he'd never leave me nor forsake me, but I feel cruddy. I don't think he's listening. I know that he told me he, um, uh, you know, he he loves me and he cares for me. I read the Psalms. I do that. But I don't feel like it. And we can go on and on and on and on. I know he's asked me to, you know, uh, put away youthful lusts. 
But, you know, my wife's away and I'll just look for a while. But, and but, and but, and but. And it proves that we're unbelievers, almost. We're not believing the promises of God, even the Christians. So be a believer, a truster. That's what Paul was. So, when they didn't agree among themselves, they go after Paul had said, or uh, among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word, and the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah. This is too much. This passage is quoted several times. Isaiah here, it says, Go to this people, hearing you will hear and, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown, have grown, grown dull. He's basically telling the Jewish leaders, you don't get it. And it was prophesied by your prophet that you wouldn't get it. And so Paul's heart was like, please get it. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they'll hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute amongst themselves. Now, watch. Paul was in Caesarea Maritime for two years, so Paul now dwelt two whole years in this rented house and received all who came to him. Can you imagine the talks and the sharing and the loving for those two years? He was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. It's wild. Look, the book just ends. I mean, you're like, wait, where's the ending to this? Folks, the book never ends. You're part of this. The continuing work of the church in southwestern PA or wherever you live. Now, I have a quote I want you to hear from a guy named Bengal. Can you put that up, please? As we... Yeah. Victory of the Word of God, says J.A. Bengal. Paul at Rome, the apex of the gospel, the end of Acts... It began at Jerusalem, it finishes at Rome. Here, O church, thou hast thy pattern. It is for thee to preserve it and to guard the deposit. That's your charge. One final thing, I just want to tell you what happened to Paul. Most people believe that Paul was acquitted of these charges up here in Rome around 61, 62 B.C., And we know from Romans, the end of Romans, that Paul had planned to go to Spain, chapter 15, verse 28 of Romans. And it's possible, some people believe that Paul made a fourth missionary journey to Spain, Greece, Asia Minor, about 63 to 67 AD. And he probably wrote the letters Timothy and Titus at this time. And then he was arrested again. He got arrested again. He was taken back to Rome, and they cut off his head in A.D. 67. Paul, he gave it all for the gospel. Now the question is, will we? Let's pray. Well, Lord, just coming here, we're so thankful and grateful. And we pray, Lord, that You would do a mighty work in our hearts as we've learned so many things through the book of Acts. Lord, if there's anybody here who's never surrendered their life to Christ and you're tugging on the strings of their heart right now by the Spirit, 
We pray together that that person would repent and give their lives to you. Count on the finished work of cross and his resurrection for their salvation. Lord, but all of us who are believers, we pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit to be people who are filled, who share the gospel, who manifest the grace of God in our lives and in our churches, navigate a world with, that hates us with patience and love, and always be people who hold up the splendor and the greatness and the majesty of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.